juggling 20 different things right now. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into John chapter 16. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in every one of your children. We ask, Holy Spirit, that we would encounter you this morning, and you would speak to us and fill us and encourage us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I realize uh, students are back. Uh, maybe a number of you are here for the first time. And so we're doing a final message um, on our series that we've been doing for the last two months on the Holy Spirit. And I realize a number of you probably haven't heard any of that. That's okay. So this will be a standalone message in many ways. This is the final um, message. And so the series, the big idea of the series we've been doing is answering three questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do, and how do we seek him? If you want to listen to past messages, you can go to uh, the Saving Grace YouTube channel. So each Sunday, it was a pretty simple plan. We looked at different verses in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, and we were just three simple goals. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how do we seek him? So today, the final sermon in this series, we're going to, if you think of bookends, so an old-fashioned bookshelf, it has a strong thing that holds up one side of the books and then a, another, and this is the, the bookend of the other side of the intro message to this series. And the question I want us to consider to get our gears turning is, what is Jesus's greatest gift to the world? What is his greatest gift to the world? There are many gifts that we, are, we benefit from because Jesus came to earth, rose from the grave. But what would you say is his greatest? Now, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, so I'll just give you a, a clue there. I'm going to make an argument that the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that Jesus has given us. Which is why the title is, of this sermon is The Risen Christ's Greatest Gift to the World. Believe the answer that I'm going to argue for is the Holy Spirit. Now, before you get all bent out of shape, you think, well, what about salvation? What about uh, us being justified in Christ? What about all our sins being washed away? What about all those things? You can answer this question in a number of different ways. But I think we'll see in the, this, this morning from the passage that a primary answer should be God, the Holy Spirit. Think about it this way. Raise your hand if you can play an instrument. doesn't matter how well. Okay, look around. we got a lot of people that can play a lot of instruments. So if I asked you a question like this, what was the best gift you, you received as a child or as a teenager? You may say, the best gift I received was my first guitar, my first drum set, my first bass, my first flute, my first clarinet, or my first tuba, or whatever the instrument of choice would be. And that could be a true answer. But if you thought about it a little bit more, you might also say that the greatest gift I ever received was the ability to play my preferred instrument. Both are true. So don't get bent out of shape with uh, the, the, maybe the details of the question but I want you to think about it in that sense. The Holy Spirit 
was poured out in mass because Jesus died and rose from the grave. And because the Holy Spirit was poured out, we have so many benefits that we would not have if Jesus did not die, rise from the grave, and ascend to the Father. Think about it this way. I'm going to read a whole bunch of things that without the Holy Spirit, okay? Because where I want us to end this series, whether it's the first time you're hearing a message in this series or you've heard them all, is I want you to be a seeker of God, the Holy Spirit. I want you to be a worshiper of God, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not know our need for a Savior. We wouldn't know we need to be saved. We wouldn't know we were in danger of experiencing God's wrath in hell forever. We would not know that. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have the Bible. We would not have this very unique book that is God's Word. It's unlike any other book in human history. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the authors to write and pen each book of the Bible. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have trusted in Jesus and turned from our sin. You wouldn't be a Christian right now without God, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not see the holiness of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not be convicted of sin. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not see Jesus as our perfect substitute, both God and man, Lord and Savior. See, the Holy Spirit's the one that opens our eyes to see that. Without the Holy Spirit, we would have no power to live out our Christian lives. So it could be that all our sins are forgiven, but we have no power to change. We have no power to obey. We have no power to be conformed into Jesus' likeness. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have gifts and abilities to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we could have that commission. We could be called to do that, but without the power, couldn't do it. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not be emboldened to share the gospel when we're nervous and fearful and timid. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I think it's accurate to say Jesus' greatest gift to the world is God the Holy Spirit. So to prove that, we're going to look at John 16, verse 7 and following. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to, to you. So that's Jesus speaking. He's saying, it's for your advantage, disciples, that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So God the Holy Spirit is a great gift both to the church and, and we'll see it to the world in general. And it's a gift that could only happen if Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to the Father. Uh, commentator Bruce Milne uh, talked about verses 7 through 14. He described it this way. In, in the verses 7 through 11, we see the Holy Spirit as the evangelist, the one convicting and drawing men and women to the Lord. And verses 12 through 15, we see the Holy Spirit as the discipler, the one conforming us into God's image. I like those pictures. So we're going to back way up though. So the first point is the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come. This is good news for all of us this morning. Verse 7 is really good news for us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. It's to our advantage. I read the list of all those things we would not have if the Holy Spirit had not come. It is a great advantage. See, see trusting in Jesus, becoming a Christian, isn't just signing up for a club or joining a group that has a certain set of rules. It's encountering the living God, being made alive from the inside out. And all that happens by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. At the time Jesus wrote these words, as, as he said these words in John, and John wrote them out, Jesus had not yet died as a substitute for our sins. He had not risen from the grave. He had not yet ascended to the Father. But we're reading this and looking at this and considering it over 2,000 years later. So we have over 2,000 years of history of God the Holy Spirit being poured out in mass, of, of people from all over the globe encountering God the Holy Spirit, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. All because Jesus ascended to heaven. See, the Holy Spirit has been poured out in power and abundance by the risen Christ. Matthew 3.11 says this. This is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than me. He's talking about Jesus. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I'm not even wor worthy to carry his dirty, dusty shoes. This one... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This one, the risen Christ, will immerse you in God, the Holy Spirit. The word baptize literally means immerse. And so it is God's will, it is God's plan that every believer in Jesus is one who is born again by God's Spirit and immersed in God's Spirit, filled with 
with God's Spirit. And we're to keep seeking the Holy Spirit and keep asking Him to fill us over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit is the illuminator of the new covenant. I thought I'd use a couple words that you probably don't use very much. So illuminator turns on the lights. New covenant, that's what Christ brought. The way that we approach God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the new covenant. And the new covenant involves God, the Holy Spirit, being poured out in power and abundance. I don't know how to persuade us more, but it is hugely, that's a word, advantageous. It is hugely, I'll just make up a word, it is hugely, it is massively advantageous that Jesus is no longer walking the earth, that he ascended to, to heaven. It is better. It is far better for you and for me and for the world as a whole that Jesus is no longer walking on the earth that he has ascended to heaven. Pastor John Piper says this, the Spirit's role to reveal the glory of Christ in the gospel, it is the Spirit's role to reveal the glory of Christ in the gospel, which cannot be done until Jesus is dead, buried, and risen. Now, if a pastor says that, you think, well, okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but listen to Jesus' own words basically saying the same thing. This is when Jesus um, knows he's going to be betrayed, knows he's going to die, and he's, he's um, instituting communion, the Lord's Supper. And this is what he says. And likewise, the, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, Jesus is saying, my blood has to be shed in order for men and women, teenagers, boys and girls to experience the Holy Spirit coming inside and transforming. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. So this is kind of a combination of things that I enjoy, like Pilgrim's Progress, Lord of the Rings, and probably other movies and books I've read over the years. So if it sounds like I'm stealing from others, I am totally stealing from others, okay? So use your imagination here. I want you to picture a castle or a, maybe castle doesn't do it for us, but a resort, something that's just like wonderful, that there's such a place that you can go to, and if you go to it, there is peace and joy and no strife and no fighting and no Twitter and no Instagram and no Facebook. There's nothing. No politics. There is this beautiful, wonderful refuge that you can go to. And it's a, it's a wonderful place. And you hear about this place. But this place has an owner, has a master. And this place is actually impossible to get to. It's a real place, but it's impossible to get there. Absolutely impossible. And then one day... The owner of the place, this, this great retreat, sends his son into this broken, messy world that we all live in, that has lots of strife, has lots of fighting, has lots of opinions, has lots of heartache and hardship and brokenness and 
all the mess that we all navigate and work through. He, he sends his son into that mess. And the son is not marred by that mess. And the son actually opens a way for everyone who would trust in the son to go into the resort, to go into the refuge, to, to go into that safe haven, which is just this place of bliss and joy. And that's wonderful. That's awesome. But the problem is the people can't see what the son has done. They're blind. They can't hear the son's voice. They don't know it actually happened. Then the master of this great haven sends another. Actually, the son sends another. And the, the next one opens the eyes of the blind to see the haven, to see the refuge, and to see the way to get there. He opens the ears so all of a sudden they can hear the master's voice where they couldn't hear it before. See, that's a picture of God the Father in heaven sending God the Son to rescue us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then Jesus sending God the Holy Spirit to give us sight, to give us ears, to awaken us. That is why the Holy Spirit is so vital. This is not a new idea in the New Testament. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Part of the new covenant is God's spirit will come inside. He will change desires. See, one of the challenges of the Old Testament law, let's say the Ten Commandments, is there was no internal power for the people to actually obey the law. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem is with us, with human nature. But in the new covenant, God's spirit is poured out, and we can actually change. We can actually grow. That is awesome, awesome news. The Holy Spirit also frees us to enjoy God to marvel in Christ, to glory in our Maker. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil is removed. So if you're a Christian, you, you had the experience where you heard the words, but you just couldn't see it. You couldn't see it. That was my experience. I couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, I could see it. I could see my need for a Savior. I could see Jesus dying in my place. I could see his shed blood washing away all my many sins. Well, how'd that happen? That's God the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom because of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to obey your passions and desires. There's freedom in the Holy Spirit. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so this, this incredible transformation process that happens in the life of every Christian as we respond to the Lord. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does many, many things 
many good things that we have benefited from. Now, John is going to tell us some more details about some specific things. So let's look back at our passage. Point number two, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and magnifies Jesus. We're going to see he convicts the world of sin and he magnifies Jesus. So think of a simple magnifying glass. What's the purpose? To make what you're looking at larger than it is. It's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he gives us three categories, and then he's going to give us a little more detail. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So let's slow it down a little bit. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. The, the world. Verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So what does that word mean, convict? I think it has a, a couple different senses, it seems to. But the Holy Spirit, he's a Holy Spirit, he will make us aware of our guilt before a holy God. If you interview the, the average person in the world, they, they will probably say, not all, but many will say, are you a good person? I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Do a couple bad things here and there, but all in all, compared to a lot of other people, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. Even at the peak of my sinful behavior as a teenager and a, a freshman, sophomore at IUP, I still would have thought, I know people do a lot worse. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not great, but I'm okay. Well, the Holy Spirit will convict and show us. It's like a, a bright light shining on us that we are not okay before a perfect and holy God. See, the world thinks we think we're naturally okay. And then the Holy Spirit comes and shows us we're not okay. And the reason that is a good and wonderful thing is because if you know you're not okay, you also then will be desperate for someone to make you okay. Someone who can cleanse you from the inside out. Someone who can save you and rescue you. I mean, think of it this way. Those IUP students that, that just came back, you, you moved into to, to residence halls and the, the room should have been cleaned ahead of time and they, they probably look great. And they should look great. But if we took brighter and brighter lights into those rooms, just like any apartment or house represented in this church, uh, we'll begin to see things that you couldn't see as the lights get brighter and brighter. That's what conviction of the Holy Spirit is like. Or if you're a gardener or a farmer, it's like the plowing of the soil and, and pulling up the big rocks that are in there. Oftentimes, before people come to faith in Christ, not always, but often, there is a plowing and a convicting and a, a making us aware that we are not okay before the maker of heaven and earth by ourselves, the one we're going to have to stand before and answer for all our th thoughts, words, and deeds. The Holy Spirit does that. 
So you can go from thinking, I'm a pretty good person, to feeling like I am guilty as charged. Well, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And that work will drive you to trust in Jesus Christ if you respond. See, you could be made aware that I am guilty as charged. One of my favorite bands had a line that said, you know, I might be going to hell in a bucket, but at least I'm enjoying the ride. So they understood, I'm guilty as charged, I just don't care. Well, if you are guilty as charged before the living God, you should care, and you should run to Jesus for salvation. See, the Holy Spirit will convict Look at verse 9. This is super insightful as, particularly for Christians, as, as people get worked up about particular kinds of sins that, that people do. He has this, this great insight. So, Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Another way to say that is all sins, that, all behavioral sins that we can see, that we can see in our, maybe our culture celebrates, you can see in your own heart, in your own actions, it really stems from a root of unbelief, that you do not believe that God is real, that you're to submit to Him, that He, he is the King, He is in charge, and He is in control. And so, rather than focusing on the, let's say the, the, the behavior that's coming out of the person, let's much more carefully and lovingly get to the root of the problem, which is, do you believe that God is real, that God exists, that as you look around, He made everything that you see, including yourself. And He loves you. But because of your, your human nature, your sinful nature, you are in massive trouble. Not just because of the particular sins that are getting you in trouble or enslaving you, but because your whole bent is for yourself and having you at the the center of the throne rather than Jesus. And so what happens is when somebody actually gets convicted by the Holy Spirit and turns from their sins, those behaviors will eventually go away as they turn. That was my experience. I did all kinds of things as a college student. Met Jesus, and then the behaviors changed because Jesus changed me. Lord, I I don't want to live this way anymore. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to turn from these wicked things. And He will. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So rather than getting all bent out of shape of concerning behavior, which is concerning Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would open blind eyes. That He would get at the root of the problem and there would be real life and real change in people's lives. The Holy Spirit also convicts of righteousness. Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. See, if you remember, the Jewish people thought they were in the right to condemn and crucify Jesus. And then He rose from the grave. And you can look in Acts 2 when Peter preaches. He, he, he goes after them. 
And, they, and many of them responded. They owned it. See, Jesus is the righteous king. And he's with God the Father. The Holy Spirit will convict us about the person and work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of judgment. Concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of the world is judged. See, there was a loud judgment on Satan, his minions, and all who follow the course of this world when Jesus not was just crucified, but he actually rose from the grave. Judgment was declared. Ultimately, it will be fulfilled when Jesus one day returns. But here's where I want us to end. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and magnify Jesus. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you. Now listen to this, verse 14. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. So the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So that's giving the original uh, recipients, many of them, inspiration to write Scripture. So that's kind of the primary way. And then for Christians, it's to help us understand the Bible. But the last thing I want us to think about in this Holy Spirit series is the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. His role, one of his primary roles, is to make Jesus look greater and more amazing than we presently see him. So the Holy Spirit will magnify and glorify Jesus to a lost and broken world. To a lost and broken student on your floor. To a lost and broken co-worker, to a lost and broken neighbor, to a lost and broken relative, to a lost and broken stranger. The Holy Spirit will magnify and glorify Jesus. For Christians, those of us who've been walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we, we can ask Him, Lord, help us to, to see Jesus more, magnify Him in our hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit will magnify and glorify Jesus to anyone who looks to him. Ask the Holy Spirit. I want to see more of Jesus. See, I think once people become Christians, especially after the first six months or year, it, they, we can all slip into like, what do I need to do? I need to do more. I need to read the Bible. I need to share the gospel. I need to know this. I need to know that. I need to go to this group. I need to go to that group. I need to go to church. I need to go to small groups. I need to do all these things I never even heard of. And you get all spun around. Your greatest need, my greatest need always as a Christian is to see more of Jesus. To encounter more of Jesus. To experience more of Jesus. John Piper says this about John 16, 14. John 16, 14 is the most important verse in the Bible about the work of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. So, your homework for this week is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see Jesus more. See his love for you more. 
see his finished work on the cross for you more, to see the extent of the forgiveness, that it doesn't just legally cancel the debt payment that you have, but it actually gives you the scrub down. It cleanses you from all those dark and dirty thoughts and actions. And he is with you. He's your advocate. He's praying for you. He's your good shepherd. He will lead you. He will take care of you. And ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I want to see Jesus more and more as I read your word. May I see him more and more as I sing songs to you. May I experience him more and more. Let's have the band come up. And I just want to read the 2 Corinthians passage I read a few moments ago. And then we're going to sing to the Lord. And you guys can all stand as I read this passage. And then we're going to sing. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that as we sing this song to you that we would see more of Jesus. We would really believe in the deepest parts of our soul how much Jesus loves each that he has saved, shed his own blood for. Lord, would it give us hope and joy in whatever circumstances we're in? And would it fuel us to, to live for you with great passion? And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.